Welcome to this week's sermon from Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. Our senior pastor is Justin Olivetti. To reach Knox Church, please email us at office at knoxepc.com or call us at 716-873-2423. Now, let's listen. You'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Located on page 985 in your pew Bibles. We're going to read the first 11 verses here. You'll stand with me as we read God's holy word. Starting with verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But she will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand, to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, and so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. May we have ears to hear it, and may God's blessing be added to it. Please have a seat. There are gifts that we give, and then there are extravagant gifts. Have you ever given an extravagant gift? The ones that require a great deal of personal sacrifice. The one where you look at your bank account afterwards and you go, Whew. Whoa. Probably familiar with Charles Dickens' story, The Gift of the Magi. I was thinking of this this past week. I know Christmas is still a little ways off, but it's, it's coming. And in that story, he tells of an extremely poor couple that were in so much love with each other, but they were tormented because they did not have enough money to give each other a gift that was grand enough to express their love to one another. So what does the woman do? The woman with nothing else to give, goes to a wig maker. She says, cut it off. Take my beautiful long hair. Turn it into a wig and give me the money for that. And so she takes that money and she goes and she spends it on a long platinum chain so that it would accompany her, her Bose uh, platinum watch, which was, uh, which was his prized possession. Now on Christmas morning, she gives that to him and he kind of laughs. And she sees her head shorn, and he gives her his gift, 
which is, of course, a set of pearl cones. He sold his watch for that. So they had these gifts that were incomplete, but they were the most extravagant gifts of love that they could give one another. For both of them, there was an element of self-sacrificing love that made that gift above and beyond what it could have been. And I was thinking of that this week as I was starting to read Mark 14 here. Mark 14 picks up the pace. We thought Mark was going fast before. It's going to go incredibly fast. And on this breathtaking race to the cross here, where Jesus is going to be giving us all, he's going to be giving us an extravagant gift, one that's above and beyond any gift you will ever receive in your life. But before that could happen, he gets a gift, an extravagant gift of self-sacrificing love from a woman to her Lord. And I want us to take a look on that today. I don't know if you're, you're a fan of roller coasters. I'm sure all of us here, right, or maybe some of us are. Who, who really loves to go on roller coasters? All right, you and me, next time. Going to go on roller coasters. There's always a point on a roller coaster where you're going slow up that first hill, right? And it's, just, it's almost agonizing. I, I hate heights. I hate heights, but I love roller coasters. And then I, I almost think that that first hill is torture because you're going up. You hear that as a chain's taking you up. You know it's going slow, it's going slow, and you go over that peak, and then things start happening really quickly right after that. You zoom down, and suddenly it's, it's all sorts of fun. And that's what I feel like right here, the first verses of Mark 14, are we've, we're cresting this hill, and from now on, it is going to go fast, and events are going to happen quickly as we go through these last 48 hours from now to the cross. It almost feels like everything's spiraling out of control, but it might feel that way. But of course it's not. Nothing is out of control to Christ. Mark begins this chapter on a rather dark note. Really, it's ominous as you read these first verses. He tells us that the Sanhedrin had made a decision behind closed doors that they were going to kidnap and kill Jesus secretly. What I want you to know here is it's, it's really interesting. This struck me that their plan is not the plan that ends up happening, is it, right? They want to secretly arrest Jesus. They want to arrest, they want to wait until after the Passover so that the throngs of people that have been gathered around Jesus will have dispersed. So they want to wait till later. They want to secretly arrest him and secretly kill him. But that's not the plan that happens. It's not the plan that God designed. So the Sanhedrin think that everything's under their control, and God says, no, no, my plan, my control. God takes control here. The murder happens in, of course, the most public way possible, right? There's, there's nothing more public than a crucifixion on the cross. And all of this is, has been foreshadowed, predestined, planned by a sovereign God who leaves absolutely nothing up to chance. We're going to see that. He leaves nothing up to possibility and fate when he says, I'm going to work for the good of all things, for the good of those who love me and have been called according to my purpose. Even my son, I'm going to be working through that. It was certainly not a coincidence that this event today takes place in the crucifixion on the most popular holiday of the Jewish year, the Passover. That was, that was their Christmas. That was the biggest event. Two million people crowded inside Jerusalem 
to celebrate the Passover. Lambs were being roasted all over the city. Passover was, of course, the celebration of the event that happened 1,400 years previously. We read about an exodus. When the slaves, the Hebrew slaves in Egypt, God says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you up and out of slavery. He said, but before I do that, I want you to have a special meal. And during this meal, I want you to, to slaughter a lamb, and I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to paint it on the doorframe of your house. And during that night, the angel of death passed over those houses that were painted with the blood of the lamb. And now, now, as the lamb gets ready to go to the cross, as his blood is ready to be shed on wood, he's about ready to deliver his people out of a greater bondage. I'm sure the Sanhedrin thought on that week, that all of the events were their doing. I'm sure they were giddy with glee when Judas Iscariot came up to them and said, I will betray him. Pay me a little bit of money. I mean, they got a good deal. I think 30 pieces of silver might sound like a lot to you. 30 pieces of silver for that man, for a man they wanted dead that badly, was a paltry sum. It was nothing. And so they thought everything was going their way. Everything was in their control. They were finally regaining control over this city that somehow had spiraled beyond them. All these, all these arguments with Jesus. But of course, that's not what happened. That we have a God, a Jesus, who was ordained, who ordained and allowed this evil to happen because it happened for His purpose and His will for us, for you as an extravagant gift of grace to his children. That's how mighty our God is. That's how mighty our God, that he can take the most vile actions of the world, a betrayal, a death, a murder, an arrest, false accusations, he can take all of this, bundle it together, and then produce freedom. Freedom and salvation. Jesus didn't suffer without a purpose, and guess what? Neither do we. We can take all of our pain and all of our suffering and that we have no idea why this is happening. And we can hold up to God. Maybe it's it's emotional pain, physical pain, mental pain, social, financial pain, all of that pain. We can hold up to God and say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but use it for your purpose. Take this pain and do something wonderful with it. And he will. He will. He will, because the Bible says he will do good through all of the things that are happening in your life. You might not be able to see it now, but I I guarantee you the day you go to heaven, God's going to say, now come here, I want to show you how I use your pain. And you're going to praise him on that day. It's going to be a wonderful day. But even as the threat of his arrest was hanging over this chapter, Jesus does get a day of peace and warm fellowship with those he loves. I love that he gets this, like, the, this little break. He's surrounded with friends. He's enjoying a meal. He visits the house of Simon. Simon, we're told, is a leper or an ex-leper. I mean, you can't go and have dinner with lepers those days. So he was obviously healed. He got over his leprous condition. So we might want to draw a conclusion that Jesus was the one who healed him. Uh, very possibly, Simon is the father of of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. This is his house. 
And the woman here in this chapter, although Mark does not name her, John does, and it is Mary. And so very possibly this is, this is a family, and they're enjoying some good food. They're reclining with the disciples and Simon and Lazarus and Jesus. They're at the table, and the women, they're serving, and they're laughing, and they're talking. And, and Jesus is just surrounded by love. And as we, as we get into the events of this chapter, as Mark leads us up to the cross, and we see less and less love around Jesus, I want us to remember this moment, because I think Jesus would have. We don't have the details of what they talked about that dinner, but what we do have is that the meal got interrupted when Mary walks into the room and she stops all of the conversation with a spontaneous and extravagant gift. You have to wonder what Mary was thinking that day as she's, she sees Jesus come into her house and I truly believe she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was prompting her, telling her, Mary, this is the last time you're going to see him. Do something extravagant for him. And so she thinks, and she goes around her house, and she's like, what can I do for my Lord? What can I do for him that's good enough, that's great enough? And then her eyes fall upon it. It's a jar. It's an alabaster jar that sits there. It's the most precious thing their family owns. It's filled with perfume. And not just like perfume that they would have gotten off the street. This perfume came from India. It was traveled all, right, all the way from India. No doubt this, this jar of perfume had been in the family possession for generations. It was an heirloom passed down. Never used, never used because it was precious beyond belief. But the family held it there. And without even thinking, without hesitation, she grabs it and she goes right into the room. What does she do with it? She doesn't take it and carefully unscrew it and dab a little bit behind Jesus' ears. She smashes that jar open and she dumps the entire contents of a bottle of extremely precious, extremely expensive perfume all over Jesus. Not just on his head, it is dripping down his entire body. We read in some of the other Gospels where it's all the way down to his feet. He is drenched with perfume. I don't know if you've ever been drenched with perfume, but it has to be an experience. I mean, I only rarely wear cologne. I very, very rarely wear it. Uh, the other day, we were going out to dinner, and I got in the car, and all my kids went, what's that smell? <laughs> Dad, you smell good. And I said, oh, yeah, thank. do I normally not smell? I don't want to know the answer to that. They're like, what's that smell? I say, well, it's, it's cologne. And they said, well, Dad, why don't you wear that all the time? I said, well, I don't buy myself cologne. It's always a gift from somebody else. And it's precious to me. It's, it's for special occasions. I only, I only wear it when I really want to make a good impression. And um, I'm wasting it on you kids this day. So, yeah, I'm just... <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, I've never taken one of my expensive bottles of cologne and that day just gone and dumped it all over my head. I'd clear out a room, I'm sure, at that point. Can you imagine? Now, I, I just want to point this out. That jar of perfume, as the, the disciples are just watching, they're going, that, that must have cost a, at least a year's wages. A year's wages. Can you imagine taking all that you've earned in a year? Or maybe you used to earn, and when you're fully working, an entire year, 
everything you earned in an entire year and blowing it on one single gesture on somebody else. Everything you made in a year, given it to somebody else. I can't imagine that. I mean, it would, it would be really fun, wouldn't it? Just to go, hey, Mark, here's a car. And that's really cool. And then I'd be really regretting my life choice for the next 10 minutes. Like, did I just spend all that money and, and just give it away all of a sudden? Uh, there would be that moment of regret when we think about house payments and, and groceries and Netflix subscriptions and all that. But does Mary hesitate? She doesn't at all. That's what Mary does. I love her attitude here. She doesn't overthink it. She doesn't worry about the consequences. She simply wants to make the most public, sincere, honest expression of love for Jesus. And she smashes that jar and she pours it all over him. She wants to give her Lord the most beautiful thing ever. Have you ever felt so grateful to Jesus when you've had those rare moments that you've suddenly understood on a deeper level of what he has done for you? the sacrifice that he made for you, the the enormity of your sins that he took on himself, that he is giving you everlasting life. And when you have those little moments of epiphany and you turn around and you go, Lord, I want to give you something back. I want to give you something beautiful, just even a fraction of this beautiful thing you've given to me. Mary, I think here, leads a vanguard of Christians who says, I want to give something back to you, Lord. I want to say thank you for this beautiful thing, the beautiful man that you are, because you deserve it. You deserve that all and more. There was a woman, it's a true story, who won in a contest a beautiful designer box. And this cardboard box she took home, and she thought, this is really pretty. I'm going to do something wonderful with it. And she wrote all her family recipes, and she put them in this box. And she decorated, she was an artsy type, so she decorated the outside of this box to make it beautiful. And as she's doing this, her little boy, she had a little son, and he was watching her And over the, the course of a week as she was decorating the box and filling it up, and then she put it on the shelf in the kitchen. And she, this little boy knew that it was a very special thing to her. And the next week, It was a woman's birthday, and her friends came to take her out for a special birthday lunch. So she went to the kitchen to grab her purse, and then she stopped, and she looked up on the shelf, and she noticed the box wasn't there. And she turned around, she started to say, hey, where's anybody see my... And she saw her son standing in the doorway with his hands behind his back, and there's water dripping down. (laughs) which is never a good sign if you're a parent. And she says, what did you do? What had happened is he had been watching her. And he made that connection that this box was special to her. So he went up, and this little boy took that box and dumped all the recipes into the trash. And he washed the box out. He scraped off all of the decorations. Then he put aluminum foil over the whole box and put inside of it a nickel, a plastic alligator, and a picture of himself. He said, Mom, I wanted to give you something good for your birthday. I wanted to give you the best. 
And that mom said, ah, that became my favorite treasure. And I had that for the rest of my life. It was her son's best. And he gave it to her. Now, that's, that could have gone a different way, couldn't it? My kids have ruined a lot of things in my house. I'm kind of used to that. And she could have been furious with him, right? She could have yelled at him. She could have thrown out the box. She could have said, you destroyed this beautiful thing. But she didn't because she saw the love, the motivation behind that action. And it meant so much to her. And let's say it's probably a good thing that the disciples weren't there in that boy's house because they would have been yelling at that kid. And as it was... They had no compunction against chewing out Mary for what they saw as an extravagant waste, as a terrible waste. The emotion in this room, look at that reaction. The language here is fury, indignation. People go, what are you doing? Faces turning red, yelling at this poor woman. Can you imagine the look on her face as she's done something beautiful for her Lord? She accepts Uh, expects smiles. Instead, she's getting yelled at. They humiliate her in front of the whole family. And they figure Jesus is going to join in on that and go, "What what are you thinking, Mary? Now, next week, we're going to be talking more about, or a couple weeks, we're going to talk more about Judas. But I want to to share with you that in, in John, it's noted that Judas is the one who is the first to start chewing Mary out. He's the one that looks at this bottle that's just been spilled, and he instantly calculates the cost, and he is so obsessed with money that he becomes angry over this waste. In his opinion, Judas's opinion, Jesus was not worth a bottle of this expensive perfume. It was barely worth 30 pieces of silver. Instead of piling on Mary and joining in those those accusations, Jesus chastises the disciples instead. He orders them to leave her alone. Jesus alone sees the motivation behind Mary, and he loves her for it. He adores her for it. She's the only one in that room who is grinning right back at her and going, you go, girl. Thank you for that gift. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, it's not just what we give. It's our love behind the gift that makes it good and pleasing to our Lord. The love behind the gift. You can write a check for a million dollars and drop it in a charity, but if you do not have love, it doesn't mean anything. Notice here that Mark has lifted up two women in his Gospels who gave the absolute best that they possibly could. A few weeks ago, we looked at the widow who gave her last two coins, thinking nobody would notice that it was nothing that she just gave, but it was her all. She gave her best. And here Mary looks around at her house, sees her Savior, and gives her best to Jesus. It was an act of extravagant love. It wasn't done out of guilt or obligation or responsibility. It's just she loved him. And she wanted to do something great for her. Now, I think every youth group room in our entire country is filled with secondhand couches. 
You can go downstairs and, and Steve will take you on a tour, a lovely tour of many, many couches that used to reside in some of your homes, I'm sure, or some of the homes of people here. I've always noticed this as a former youth pastor. I'll tell you, I never had a brand new couch donated to the youth group. It was always somebody's leftovers. I understand why. I know teens are hard on couches. I know that you want to give to the church. I understand the reasoning behind this. This isn't a, this isn't a judgment. I'm just noting that it's easy to give leftovers. It's easy to give when it doesn't hurt us. It's easy to give when we go, well, I'll put into the offering plate whatever is left after I've taken care of myself and all my desires and all my needs. That's easy. It's easy to say, well, I'll give my time helping the poor on Sunday as long as it's not a game day. Because I can't miss that. can't miss it. It's always easy to say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Jesus in conversation if somebody else brings it up first. And it doesn't look like they're really going to give me much attitude about my faith. It's easy to give Jesus our leftovers. But when's the last time you gave Jesus your absolute best? When you said, Lord, I love you so much, I just want to do something great for you. I want to give something great for you. I want to change something about me to please you. And when we have love behind that, he smiles right back at us. It doesn't matter what it is, just that it's your best. Just that it's your best. Mary here showed absolutely no signs of regret even after she got yelled at that what she did for her Lord. No signs of regret. And I admire her deeply for that. We see in this passage how God works through all things to accomplish his purpose. We see how he maneuvers Jesus' betrayal into the Passover week instead of afterward. And we also see how he anoints the son's body for burial. Did you realize that? They, they, they didn't have time when he was on the cross and they took him down from the cross because it was the Sabbath. They didn't have time to properly anoint his body. So this anointing that Mary gives him here is his burial anointing. The perfume that Mary drenched all over Jesus, that smell, that royal smell, the beautiful smell, would stay with Jesus for the next 48 hours of his life. Everywhere he went, people would smell that and be reminded of how kings were anointed with oil and perfume in the Old Testament. When he went in front of Herod and was accused of crimes, the perfume surrounded him. When Jesus was whipped, the smell of the perfume rose above the blood. When he died on the cross, the perfume was still with him. And when they laid his body in the tomb, there was scent, there was a trace smell of the perfume that still clung to his body. The love of Mary. The love of somebody who wanted to give her his best. I want to challenge you this week, challenge myself, challenge all of us. What beautiful thing can we give this week for our Lord? What can we lay at his feet and prompt him to say of us, they did what they could of me. They did what they could of me. Maybe it's a financial gift, maybe it's a talent, maybe it's a song, maybe it's an act of forgiveness, 
that you've been putting off for far too long. Maybe it's taking a step to share your faith. What beautiful thing can you give to a beautiful Savior? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you said it right there in the Gospel that we would be remembering and praising Mary for the gift that he gave to you. And Lord, we're still remembering that. We still see how this woman wanted to give you her absolute best. Lord, I think a lot of us want to do that too. And maybe we don't know what that best is. Maybe you haven't shown it to us yet. But Lord, we want to give you great things. We want to do our best. Maybe it's even small little acts of love every day. Ways that we can just tell you over and over again, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And you showed us that you loved us by dying on that cross for each one of us, even while we were still sinners. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen. Please receive the benediction. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you again for listening. It is our sincere prayer that today's message has brought you closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. You can also audio stream our full service live. Details can be found at our website, noxypc.com. Our church is fully wheelchair accessible and loop enabled for the hearing impaired. For a full schedule of activities and more information on our beliefs, visit our website at www.noxypc.com or call our church office at 716-873-2423.